0: Nuclear Lobbying The industry does it all the time, full-time, using swarms of highly paid lobbyists with big expense accounts to grease the wheels of Congress in support of their big-budget planetary-polluting nuclear reactors, processing plants, mining operations, and various products of death. They don't bother to talk about the trail of illnesses and deaths in communities that host their manufacturing and testing, the radioactive particle pollution they leave behind every step of the way. That's why it's significant when a small group of dedicated activists from around the country stand up for themselves and their communities by going to D.C. and lobbying their Congress members face-to-face for an extension of the protections of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, And they have learned to ignore the official claims of, well, we don't have any money for this, to face down their elected officials and to tell
1: them. And when they say it's the cost, it's the cost, I say, you know what, we've borne the cost. Our communities have borne the cost of nuclear weapons. And it's time the government take care of those they harmed.
0: Well, when author and downwinder Mary Dixon along with Dawn Chapman, Tina Cordova, and a powerful cohort of activists, politely yet firmly storms the halls of Congress with well-mannered yet devastating nuclear truth, you begin to hope that progress is going to be made in getting us all out of that awful, dangerous, deadly seat that we all share.
1: Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking?
2: Nuclear hot seat.
1: The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking. But our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.
0: Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat depleted uranium scholar, researcher, author, and genuine expert, Demacio Lopez, who provides context for the recent decision by the United States to send depleted uranium weapons to Ukraine. Then we find out what it was like to lobby Congress members face-to-face with nuclear truth, the hard truth, and demand to extend and expand the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, to cover communities and states hit by radioactive fallout from the Trinity test and from the atmospheric nuclear bomb explosions, 100 of them, at the Nevada test site. We hear from author and Utah downwinder Mary Dixon, and from Don Chapman of Just Moms STL, on how it was to speak truth to power. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, and more honest nuclear information than we Ever heard or will ever hear from former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting out in the U.S. in New Mexico, where, in an important win for genuine cleanup at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, or LANL, the New Mexico Environment Department has rejected the lab's plans for so-called cleanup through cap and cover. LANL's plan would leave existing radioactive and toxic wastes forever buried in unlined pits and trenches as a permanent threat to the groundwater. Instead, The New Mexico Environment Department has determined that the selected cleanup must consist of waste excavation, characterization, and appropriate disposal. Excavation will ensure that the source of contamination is removed. Kudos to Nuclear Watch New Mexico and the other groups in that area that worked so hard to bring this about. The Department of Energy was so excited about this that they actually issued a press release about the arrival of 120 storage cylinders by rail in West Texas last week, calling it another milestone in its off-site shipping and disposal of depleted uranium oxide. What they mentioned but deflected focus from is that the shipping company is Norfolk Southern, the same company that had a hand in the horrific disaster in East Palestine, Ohio. The company is currently on the receiving end of several lawsuits, including one from the Department of Justice and fines from OSHA and other federal and state agencies. While DOE is expressing confidence, note that Norfolk Southern saw 163.6 derailments per year on average in the last decade. Mobile Chernobyl indeed. And Microsoft needs so much power to train artificial intelligence that it's considering small nuclear reactors, AI and nukes, what could go wrong? And in Nuclear Regulatory Commission news, an appeal panel has upheld the dissent of a staff member who objected to the agency's approval of a license amendment to the Fitzpatrick nuclear plant in New York that allowed the plant to quadruple radioactive leakage from its steam valves. The increased leakage, combined with removal of a radioactive leakage collection system, could lead to exposure of the control room operators to doses greater than the regulatory limit in an accident. The Japanese National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health conducted research on emergency workers who responded to the radiation crisis at the Fukushima power plant in March 2011. The study discloses that that 6.5% of the participants developed diabetes, with those exposed to higher levels of radiation having a 47% increased risk of developing the glucose disorder, yet another little-known and little-studied consequence of exposure to radioactive materials. There is an excellent article called A Strategy of Concealment. Agencies that promote nuclear power are quietly managing its disaster narrative, It's by Colin Kabayashi, and it's so good we're going to link to it on the website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 641. And Fukushima-grown peaches, grapes, and rice are among the products being showcased at events in Bangkok, London, and Singapore in a bid to dispel what are called harmful rumors about the lasting effects of the Fukushima nuclear accident on food raised in Japan. The events aim to brainwash, uh, educate victims, uh, visitors, about Fukushima products. And do you notice how they always use the term harmful rumors? I'm sure they focus group that just like the U.S. did for depleted uranium, which you'll hear about shortly. In Ukraine, according to a critical dossier compiled by Greenpeace that was sent to Western governments on Thursday, September 28th, International regulators, meaning the International Atomic Energy Agency, are incapable of properly monitoring safety at the Russian-occupied Zaporizhzhia 6 reactor nuclear power station. The report states, The IAEA reporting risks normalizing what remains a dangerous nuclear crisis, unprecedented in the history of nuclear power, while exaggerating its actual influence on events on the ground. Thank you, Sean Burney. Meanwhile, Russia is holding nationwide exercises in preparation for, quote, the danger of armed conflicts involving nuclear powers. And the Chernobyl exclusion zone is going to host a massive wind farm. Now, here is the first of this week's featured interviews. Demacio Lopez focuses on the issues of depleted uranium weapons and is an expert, academic, researcher, and activist. DU weapons were developed only two miles from his childhood home in Socorro, New Mexico, and he has traveled to Iraq to measure radiation from DU weapons there, as well as published two books on the subject. Here, we focus on the recent U.S. decision to send DU weapons to Ukraine. I spoke with Demacio Lopez on Friday, September 22, 2023. Demacio Lopez, thank you for joining us here on Nuclear Hot Seat.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: This is about depleted uranium, which you are a genuine expert and scholar and researcher in. In early September, the U.S. made the decision to send depleted uranium weapons to Ukraine. What's wrong with this?
2: What's wrong with it is that Ukraine is being set up to be contaminated and their health to be compromised. This has happened over and over again in different places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Bosnia, Kosovo, Kuwait, Montenegro, Serbia. These are countries that have been contaminated thoroughly with depleted uranium, and they don't function very well anymore. People lost their faith in their own governments because the people that are contaminated and sick aren't getting any help. They have asked for it. I'm talking about medical help and and cleanup of the facilities or their, their countries that have been contaminated with uranium weapons. People are very concerned about that. So we, me and my friends, who are the International Coalition to Ban Uranium Weapons, there's about 100 organizations that belong to this. My organization is one of them. For the last six months, we've been trying to figure out what we could do in these troubled times. And we decided that maybe we should have some kind of a global action call to ban uranium weapons because of the timing. I'll say a little bit about uranium weapons. It's an indiscriminate uh, weapon. It poisons combatants and civilians alike, causing widespread contamination of the land and suffering of the victims. And uh, what we're asking in this global action call to ban uranium weapons, is that we're calling on governments and organizations, civil society, and everybody to act in favor of stop developing, producing, and delivering DU weapons, not using or threatening to use or test DU weapons, be in favor of victims' assistance and environmental remediation, be in favor of transparency and help affected regions, be in favor of drafting and lobbying for a treaty on the prohibition of armament and ammunition containing depleted uranium. So how do we do this? Well, a lot of times people receive these kinds of calls and they sign their name and that's pretty much it. And they go about their business. But in this particular case, we need more than that. We're asking people out there, particularly those affected countries that have been contaminate it with DU and and the people who are doing it and the countries that are doing it we're asking you to get a hold of the politicians in your countries get a hold of the governing bodies like the president of a country and ask them to please stop using these weapons and stop developing them in the united states for instance you know they're saying well you know who does this who who makes these weapons well you can talked to the president of a the country they'll know. however, I also know. And uh, in 1993 I wrote a book along with two other uh, people and we put together a book called Uranium Battlefields at Home and Abroad: Depleted Uranium used by the U.S Department of Defense. One of the things we had to do was locate the sites, the states in the this was a United States venture we looked at the U.S sites. Where are they manufacturing and testing? depleted uranium weapons. Where is it? Well, here it is.
0: And you just sent me a copy of a map which shows an astonishing number of sites around the United States where DU weapons are manufactured, tested, or are somewhere part of that weapons cycle. And we will post that on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode.
2: There's approximately 50 states across the United States that manufacture and test these weapons. It's throughout the entire country. Why so many people? Why why this rush to use this depleted uranium? There's actually two reasons. The first reason was the Department of Energy was getting concerned about the amount of DU that was being uh, stored as a result of enrichment of, of uranium when they get the hot isotopes that they make bombs and nuclear power plants. So they uh, started using some of this 700,000 tons of DU. This is back in 1993 when we knew about this. There's probably a lot more now because they continue to produce this waste. So what do they do with 700,000 tons of depleted uranium that is more than 50% as radioactive as it was, before they took out this hot isotopes that they wanted in nuclear power plants and and nuclear weapons. They took out the U-235 and U-234. In terms of weight, that's taking out like 1% of the total weight of the total mass of uranium. The rest of it, 99%, has other isotopes, including U-238 that has a half-life of four and a half billion years. So that becomes a big problem. Let's make something real clear here. Depleted uranium is a nuclear component. It's nuclear. What is nuclear? Nuclear is uranium that gives off radiation. If it gives off radiation, it's a nuclear component. So right now with the issue in Ukraine, people who make the weapon, use the weapon, sell the weapon, they say, it's not even radioactive.
0: Is that because of the use of the term depleted in the name that people think, oh, it's flat, it has no impact that's radiological?
2: That's exactly right. I know about the times when they were developing the weapon and doing uh, human radiation experiments on inhaling of of this uh, uranium dust. When they were doing this, they knew they were gonna have a lot of discrepancies here and a lot of people were gonna complain. So they thought, well, they had some other names for it. They call it Stabiloid, U-20, U-38. They had some different names. And then they came up with one that they felt was politically in their favor. And that was to use the word depleted, depleted uranium, when actually it's not depleted uranium. These are uranium weapons and this is what they don't want the public to comprehend so the use of the word depleted uranium was perfect for their, for what they wanted to do and that was to fool the people into thinking that this was an inert thing you know just a piece of metal and it's not that and we have to stop this if we don't stop this now we're going to have a big big problem because if we get past this ukraine and they're allowed to do this, which it sounds like they're going to, they're going to contaminate Ukraine. Their very own army is going to contaminate their country because they're shooting at the Russians that are in Ukraine, and the Russians will surely go and get their own depleted uranium, which they have plenty of, weapons, and they'll start shooting it too. Give it a couple of years or even a year or six months, and we'll have another country like Iraq. Iraq today is in terrible situation. One-fourth of their country is occupied by warlords. The people know that their water, their land is contaminated and that their children, uh, well, it's pretty obvious to them that that's the case when many of them will have children and see birth defects that are just, well, unreal, I guess is what I have to say.
0: And the depleted uranium... Clarify for us came from weapons that were used during the U.S. war? Yeah,
2: yeah the U.S. and Great Britain used a tremendous amount of, uh, I don't know, some 300 tons or something of DU there in Iraq on the first Gulf War. Then they had a second Gulf War and then again used the depleted uranium in Fallujah and, and left those people in horrible shape. And that's where Iraq is right now. Their heart for their country, their, their spirit is broken and they're sick. And what does Ukraine have to look forward to? The same thing. And if they think it ain't going to happen, then I'm sorry, but you're mistaken out there. And you better do something about it right now before it's too late. It's still time for the president to say, no, we're not going to use these weapons. No, I'm not going to contaminate my own country. So what can we do? to support
0: stopping the usage of depleted uranium weapons in Ukraine?
2: The people who can actually stop this is the United Nations. They have the power. They have the responsibility. So I suggest that people out there write letters to the five permanent members of the Security Council send them a letter and tell them what you think about the DU and maybe you stop the, stop the use of these weapons. These are the five permanent members of the Security Council. And uh, who are they? The United States, Great Britain, France, Russia, and China. They're the major producers and sellers of this weapon and users. Who should you get a hold of at the United Nations to ask them to stop this? The users who are the permanent members of the Security Council can veto resolutions that are sent to them for discussion, and they do it.
0: So to play devil's advocate or angel's advocate on this one, why would the countries on the Security Council actually take a stand against what their own country is doing or advocating when? they don't have any real power they might be able to influence but there is no real power in the united nations other than public awareness and public opinion
2: i don't think that's what the united nations is there for the united nations has this security council and they can discuss an issue like let's say cluster bombs and they did and what happened they went ahead and passed a law prohibiting the use of these uh, cluster bombs, even though some countries like the United States did not sign that treaty. But nevertheless, it comes from the Security Council. And also another person that needs to be contacted is the Secretary General of the United Nations. That can be done by using this address is 405 East 42nd Street, New York, 10017, the email for the Secretary General of the United Nations, Central at un.org. These six people, the Secretary General, and the five members of the Security Council, uh, as far as I can see, and I've been doing this work for 37 years, These are the responsible people. These are the people that can make a difference. And they will tell you that, oh, no, it's some other way, but it's not. These are the folks that can stop the use of this weapon. And they need to be contacted and told that we do not want this. I know what it's like to be in a place that's contaminated with DU because I've lived there half my life. I'm 80 years old. 40 years of my life, I lived next to one of these facilities.
0: And you live and have lived in Socorro, New Mexico. What kind of impact has that had on your
2: life? I have my own personal problems and diseases that I have now that I'm coping with. Some of them may well be related to the exposure I had to depleted uranium. My father died from cancers my little brother right now his back is twisted and you know he lives in Socorro he didn't have the money to buy bottled water and in fact that's another thing that people should look for you know this contamination and especially if you're at a facility that makes these weapons and tests them your water supply is in danger our water supply in Socorro we got a letter from the environment department telling us that our water was contaminated, we shouldn't be drinking it, and they're going to have to make some new wells. And they suggested that people use bottled water. This was in 2006. And the bad thing about all this is these people that are testing there in Socorro, they got a 100-year permit to do this kind of testing. Can you imagine what the place is going to be like 100 years from now? And there's so many of these testing sites across the United States. Almost every state has them. And so they're doing the same thing. They're they're testing these weapons. The radiation goes into the air, into the ground, into the groundwater. It happens in all of these places. It's the same thing. And then what happens a lot of times is these contractors will get a contract for two years. And they're supposed to clean up their trash. DU that's left on the ground there after the two years. They don't do it. They just leave it and they figure out loopholes so that they don't have to do this. And that is happening across our country. So we
0: cannot ship DU weapons to another country, such as Ukraine, without actually hitting ourselves with DU from all the manufacturing and testing of the weapons in the United States in these 50 plus locations,
2: correct? Right. Just just to get those weapons for Ukraine, they ramped up production and testing at all these 455-56 sites across the United States. And each of them, and it's been proven over and over, the radiation in uranium is not just at the facility itself. It spreads out 30, 40 miles away from that place. If you have facilities, 56 of them all across the United States, and they're all doing this, well, we're contaminating the land. We have a big problem here. People need to stand up and take responsibility. It's not just signing your name to a paper and saying, I don't like this. No, we need to contact these people who are responsible using these weapons say, please don't do this anymore. You're killing us, you're contaminating our our land. This is unacceptable. This is what needs to happen. And I plead with the people out there to please step forward because unless I realize that if you're not in one of these situations, then it's like, well, that doesn't affect me. So, you know, that, that poor guy stuck over there, like Damasio and his family, is too bad for them. But we get the advantage of having these great weapons that we can conquer other countries and take their land and take what they have. You know, that's really not the best way to go. I don't. I think we ought to try to change our our tune a little bit about who we are.
0: What is the source? of what we're calling depleted uranium that's really not depleted. Does it come from mining? Is this part of the waste stream of reactors? Is there some other source of it?
2: Here in New Mexico, we get a lot of it. It's mixed in with the soil in certain areas, uh, usually on Indian reservations. And in the Navajo reservation is where they get a lot of this uranium. They go in there and shovel up this uranium, put them the back of a truck, take it to a processing plant. And that processing plant separates the pure uranium from the other materials and other uh, types of minerals. So they end up having a real clean chunk of uranium, this totally clean, and that is uranium. And then they say, okay, we wanna take two isotopes out of there. They have a processing plant, an enrichment they call it, where they take the U-235 and U-234 out of the uranium And that is only, like I said, 1% of the weight of the entire uranium. The waste stream that comes from taking out the U-235 and U-234 is, like I said, it's 99% uranium and it's radioactive. And they call that depleted uranium. It's not depleted of uranium and it doesn't stop there. The nuclear facilities that produce the electricity also have a process where the depleted uranium is also produced by recycling spent nuclear fuel. And what comes out in that uranium? They found it on the field in Bosnia, in Iraq, that it contained particles, parts of these hot isotopes that only come from a nuclear reactor which means that the radioactivity is much higher than the supposed depleted uranium that it begun with. They take that depleted uranium from when they took out the U-235 and U-234. That's the one that had 700,000 tons of DU back in 1993. So the Department of Energy, what do they want to do? They want to somehow get rid of this. They don't know what, where to put it. Right now, they have it in storage bins, and they had the great idea of making depleted uranium weapons. Man, what a good way to get rid of all this waste. And so they did, and they're spreading it all over the world, just as happy as they can be because they're moving forward with this project, and nobody seems to have the power to stop them, and they're getting rid of all the waste. The military is going around destroying other countries destroying their the people's health and their land, and not just the United States. There's something like 14 countries right now that store these weapons and use them. So we're in a bad situation. And, and I've tried so hard for so long to try to stop these people with logic and, and good information. We and others have organizations over the last 35 years have provided information from scientists, independent scientists that has said this is a radioactive material and it's going to contaminate lands and make people sick. They're going to have cancers and birth defects. This is what the top scientists that are not in the military or with the government, this is what they say. We've been trying to get that point across and they all know this is a fact but they do not want to stop this weapon. So how can this possibly be stopped? Well, it can't be guys like me who are researchers or people that are out there in the front lines living in, this, in these terrible conditions. It's not going to be us. It's going to have to be the general public. They're going to have to stand up. And if they don't, they'll be included in this kind of a scenario where they themselves would be breathing this air that's contaminated with radiation. And end up being statistics. So that's why I'm here today, is to plead with the people to please step forward, help us. We're going through some really tough times with this depleted uranium. And if something doesn't happen real soon to stop it, we're going to have colossal problems, both in health and cleanup of this stuff. To clean it up, you have to take the first 12 inches of dirt off the top, and then you have to figure out a place to put it. In Iraq and Kuwait, they've made big holes out there in the desert and dumped uh, tanks in there that were contaminated. And that's one of the ways they deal with things like this. And when you put things in the ground and you have heavy metals, that heavy metal keeps going down to the groundwater.
0: Demasio Lopez, it's always, I can't say enjoyable. It's certainly depressing to find out the information that you have, but it's vital that we know. Because depleted uranium, as it's being spread around through weapons, is contaminating the earth. And there's only one earth. It's a rock in the middle of the bubble in the middle of nowhere. And what happens here stays here. There's no away. We can't get away from it. So I thank you for raising the alarm for as many years as you have, for having this information and providing the follow-up that listeners can go to if they wish to be part of stopping depleted uranium weapons. And I want to thank you for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Demacio Lopez. We have a copy of that map he spoke about with more than 50 sites in the United States where DU weapons have been built or tested. That will be up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 641. Damasio is currently rebuilding his website, and that will be active in 2024. That's where you'll be able to find a digital edition of his out-of-print 1993 book, Uranium Battlefields Home and Abroad, Depleted Uranium Use by the U.S. Department of Defense. Still relevant, still important. We will also link to our extended interview with Damasio for Nuclear Hot Seat number 625 from last June. I'm also taking this opportunity to give you an important heads-up. Both Damasio and I are working on the 2024 tour of the United States and Canada by the International Uranium Film Festival. One of the stops will be in Washington, D.C., and I'm pleased to be the first to let you know that the focus in D.C. will be films dealing with depleted uranium weapons. There is already a conference on DU and other nuclear weapons being planned for next spring in D.C., supported by a wide range of peace groups, and we are working to coordinate our timing so that both happen in conjunction with each other and provide mutual support. We'll keep you up to date on all the developments here on Nuclear Hot Seat. And if you would like to help on the ground in D.C., there's a link on the website to contact Damasio by email. Come join us, and let's make a really big difference in the world. We'll have more featured interviews in just a moment, but first, the Trinity A-bomb test, Church Rock uranium tailing spill, uranium mining, radioactive waste dumps, Nevada test site, add to that Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and all those places where these materials were manufactured The list of nuclear dangers and disasters is as endless as the dangers of plutonium, which has a radioactive half-life of 24,000 years. Every week, Nuclear Hot Seat reports on stories of how this industry perpetuates itself despite the known risks, how brave activists around the world are fighting back against it and for genuine renewables, and how any one of us can take action to help stop the nuclear madness. We get into these stories with facts, continuity, and context, as well as a healthy dose of skepticism, providing a much deeper and nuanced telling than you would ever expect on mainstream media. Every week there's fresh information, interviews, an unrelenting perspective, and even, whenever possible, humor. But in order to keep doing this work, we need your help. Nuclear Hot Seat runs on donations, and we are always in need. If you've got five dollars, the same as you would spend in the U.S. for a nice cup of coffee and a tip to the barista, why don't you send it our way? Or buy Nuclear Hot Seat a cup of coffee a month with a recurring donation of $5. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that your donations are tax-deductible. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the red Donate button. If you have Zelle, you can send money directly to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. Be your support one time or ongoing. Know that it all counts, and whatever you can do to help, I am deeply grateful that you are listening and that you care. Now for more from this week's featured interviews. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, was created to provide payments to U.S. citizens harmed by fallout from the Trinity Test in New Mexico and the 100 atmospheric bomb detonations at the Nevada test site, downwinders, as those who have been exposed are called, have developed a wide range of cancers, heart disease, and a long list of illnesses known to be caused by radiation exposure. But RICA was limited in its scope, actually not even including New Mexico at all, despite that having been the site of Trinity and all the work at Los Alamos. Now... Even as RECA is set to expire next year, there is a big push to both extend and expand it to cover those communities and people who are not under the original, very limited umbrella of support. Here to explain more, and to learn about a recent lobbying trip to D.C. by downwinders from across the country, here are two veteran activists. Mary Dixon is an award-winning writer, playwright, downwinder, and thyroid cancer survivor who is internationally recognized for her advocacy for survivors of nuclear weapons testing. She has spoken and written widely about the human cost of the arms race, including twice at the World Forum on Nuclear Survivors in Hiroshima. For the past three years, she has been part of a consortium of downwind communities across the West as well as national allies working to expand the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. We spoke on September 28, 2023. Mary Dixon, welcome back to Nuclear Hot Seat. Ah, a pleasure always
1: to be with you, a pleasure.
0: Recently, you were in D.C. with others to lobby on behalf of the extension of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA. How is this set up and who is asked to participate?
1: I have a group I've been meeting with every week for the last three or four years. We're from New Mexico, Arizona. Idaho, Utah, that's me, Guam, uh, the Navajo Nation, and La Laguna Pueblo. So we have been meeting every week, and we decided it was time we go lobby. The incredible Union of Concerned Scientists helped set up all of our meetings for us. They were there to lead us from office to office, but it was basically us opening up our hearts and telling our stories.
0: What was your goal in speaking with the legislators that you spoke with?
1: We really wanted to reach people who could push uh, the House side to keep the Radiation Exposure Compensation Amendment that was introduced by Josh Hawley, Mike Crapo, and Ben Ray Lujan in the NDAA, the Nuclear Defense Authorization Act. So that's what we were pushing for.
0: What was the response you got from the Congress people?
1: You know, it was mixed. We got some people who were incredibly supportive offices, who would actually, some of them get teary, uh, very moved by the stories. And then we had some, unfortunately, the Utah delegation, which is mine, was the most discouraging of all, because they mostly want to know, well, it's the cost, it's the cost. And even those who supported the amendment in the House, we had three of them uh, last session, have basically abandoned us. And when they say it's the cost, it's the cost. I say, you know what? We've borne the cost. Our communities have borne the cost of nuclear weapons. And it's time the government take care of those they harmed.
0: There were those not only from your group, but from others around the country. What was it like being in community with people who shared these issues from their own particular perspective?
1: Boy, I'll tell you, when we all met together, because we had a place we all would would congregate before we'd go and during breaks, there were a lot of tears. It was incredibly emotional because we have seen each other over Zoom, but we have not been in person together. There was such an amazing sense of solidarity there. We were hugging. We were crying. We met women from Missouri who were amazing. We had not interacted with them before. And one of them said, we are no longer siloed. We are together working on this. And I would hear their stories. They were so much like my stories. They were like stories of all of us. I mean, we all have so much in common that it's this immediate bond, immediate.
0: I'm going to be speaking with Dawn Chapman later, and I know she was one of them there. I, I can't wait to hear her side of it. Okay. Was there a press conference held? And if so, what was the response to what was shared?
1: Oh, I'll tell you that press conference was incredible. It was in front of the Capitol and what they call the Senate swamp and area outside. There were people from our group, Senator Josh Halley spoke, he is so impassioned. He is so committed to this. He says, we're going to get it done. We're doing the right thing. And there, and you know, he's a very conservative man. Senator Ben Ray Lujan, Representative Teresa Ledger Fernandez, the representative James Moylan from Guam. They all spoke, a woman from the Navajo Nation. I spoke, Tina Cordova from New Mexico, Phil Harrison from the Navajo Nation. Don Chapman from Missouri, and Robert Celestial from Guam. And we told basically our stories. We didn't have a lot of time and made that plea. And one thing I said to all the cameras that were rolling, we had a lot of coverage, was you are our conduit to the public to spread these stories. People just don't know them. And it was, it was very intense. They asked good questions. They were shocked by a lot of what we had to tell them. And CNN carried the whole thing live. It was a major moment. It was a major moment to be there standing with all the people that I had worked with, that I will now work with from Missouri. It was an amazing moment. What's next? Well, next we have to keep on pushing because, as you know, the government is barreling toward a shutdown. And when that happens, it will be put off this um, deciding on the NDAA and conferencing. I mean, the Senate approved it. They passed it. They passed their version of the entire NDAA with strong bipartisan support, I should say. Now we have to make sure it stays in the final version because it was not in the House version. It wasn't introduced there. So we have to push the House conferences. They'll be discussing what stays in, what goes out. And we have to just really do our work because we are on a deadline. And I should say, All of us are on a deadline because people are literally dying as we wait for justice and as we push for this to go through. But I'll tell you, this is the farthest we've ever come. It's the farthest. And we had a national platform, which could just make me cry right now.
0: What can the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat do to support you?
1: Call your congressman, tell them to please, please urge that this stay in the NDAA, that we have justice, because people are affected from all over. You know, Libby, I did a C-SPAN interview, and we took calls during that. I had so many callers from around the country with their own heartbreaking stories. This is something that affects so many people, and these people have Absolutely tragic stories, because this, I would say, is a national tragedy.
0: We will do everything in our power to support you in moving this forward. I congratulate you on the work you've made so far and the progress so far and cheer you on and we'll do whatever we can. Thank you so
1: much. You are an incredible person.
0: And thank you. Back at you the same. Mary Dixon, thank you so much for all you're doing and for being my guest this week On Nuclear Hot Seat. A pleasure, a pleasure as always. Mary Dixon. Our other interviewee is Dawn Chapman. She is co founder of Just Moms STL and is one of the residents living near the Bridgeton Landfill and Coldwater Creek, both of which were contaminated with Manhattan Project World War II radioactive nuclear weapons waste. I spoke with Dawn also on September 28, 2023. John Chapman, always great to talk with you here at Nuclear Hot Seat, and it's been a while. It has. It's so great to talk with you again. Recently, you were in D.C. with many others to lobby on behalf of extension of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA. How did this come about for you?
3: Almost in a miraculous way it came about. I think um, with the addition of Senator Hawley's amendment, adding in the other states and other communities. Obviously, RICA has been a program that's needed to be expanded for a long time. There's been a lot of community members working on that. You know, we were certainly pushing on our end, and it almost just felt like overnight in one second, Senator Hawley suddenly went to the floor with Senator Ben Ray Lujan, and a miracle happened. They were able to pass it in the Senate with 61 votes, and As we were talking with other community members, it turns out that all across the nation, we were all watching this happen together in different communities and didn't know other community. And we were all having the same reaction. We were screaming, we were crying. And there's this one moment that happened that united everybody finally after decades and decades. And I, I think the division was deliberate by the government, frankly. I think they were hoping that we would never, ever do what we just did last week.
0: Well, let's give people a better sense of what it was that you did last week. Where were the people from and how did you coordinate your work with each other?
3: Kudos, first of all, to the Union of Concerned Scientists that helped organize the event so that we were able to go to Washington, D.C. and meet with, we're calling each other, family members, our legacy family members from the Manhattan Project in the Cold War and just so many communities and so many advocates for communities from out west from utah mary dixon from new mexico Telarusa, um the trinity site navajo nation the uranium miners we all just came together in one moment in dc literally walked in a room together just walked in a room at the union of concerned scientists and there we were and i think we knew at that point we thought okay this is the first time we're together, but it's not the last and never again will we be divided.
0: Who did you speak with and what were your goals in speaking with them?
3: The goals were to tell the complete story of what has happened to all of us and how we were all impacted individually, right? Because the impacts are individual to communities, be it you know downwind of testing, mining uranium, Many of those communities, I think we can say, got all of it. They got the downwind test. They got the mining. They got the processing waste. So it was to meet, sit around a table with individual staffers and elected officials who are hopefully going to become our champions and help push this RICA bill through and to explain what had happened, everything from the health impacts to the economic, to the social justice, to the emotional. I mean. It was a very well-coordinated, I would say, lobbying effort to see a lot of truth spoken around the table and the coordination. I think it was super powerful. How did the Congress people and their staff members take it? I think they were blown away. I think that one of the things, the feedback that we got was, and I think this is the power of being united. The stories in the community, they mimic each other. The illnesses mimic each other. The heartbreak mimics. And basically, I think they're wondering why in the hell hasn't this happened before? Why why haven't we expanded this program? This really is a no-brainer. Members of the Navajo Nation, when they were telling their story, several of them served their country as Marines. And then they came back and they crawled in the pit of hell in those uranium mines. And I think they just want and desperately need to be recognized and taken care of. And I think people sat back and thought, my goodness, these people risked their lives for their countries. And yet we ignored them. We did all this. And and I, I think we saw a lot of positive change in elected officials. I think this is going to happen. I'm feeling very hopeful.
0: There was a press conference. What was that like for you? And how do you
3: feel the media responded? That might have been one of the most emotional moments of the trip because We didn't know how much press would show up. And you're standing there in front of the the Capitol, the ambience, right? And you're looking at each other and we're all together. And there were just so many cameras. They came, they showed up. And we just, I think, felt so united in that moment. Just completely united. And I think is a little bit of a chuckle because I thought, you know, good luck trying to split us up now, guys. You know, like I thought, thought, you know, there are some people that are seeing us stand here shaking in their boots, right? Because they've probably worked very hard within agencies to prevent this from happening. And here we are and get used to it. You know, so there was a bit of that that I think we all felt that was empowering. But there was also emotion. You know, when I spoke, I really, I wanted everyone to come. Because I think that that's what it was about. It was about individual stories that impacted these United States of America. It wasn't just individual groups.
0: You've touched upon this. What was it like for you to be there in community with others who so intimately shared your story, even though they were from diverse places?
3: Well, I broke down when we sat down at the table at the Union Scientists. I got a little emotional because you know the story, you know, we in St. Louis processed uranium from the Belgian Congo, and we sent a lot of that out to the Trinity site to be used in that bomb. They did mining out there. And I thought, for me, it really hurt because the Trinity folks were there. And I thought we sent our stuff out there and hurt them. You know, it was a very heavy moment. And I told them this, I think you hope always in your heart that when you find out a community has been impacted by this by radioactive waste and this legacy you you hope that one community maybe got out unscathed you just are praying that somewhere somebody stood up and did the right thing for these people and protected them that you know it didn't happen in yours but maybe they had somebody out there and they didn't that the same lack of give a damn happened out there and these people are horribly sick and so yeah i i broke for a moment It was really like a family reunion. We just felt such a powerful sense of connection and camaraderie behind this. And that's when I began to feel hopeful. I thought, finally, we're here. We're together. We know it. And nobody's going to break us apart. So what's next? So what's next is we are all emailing each other and messaging each other, and we are working hard to get this legislation passed. And We are strategizing. It is a massive game of chess from all the way out West, all the way here to the middle of the country and beyond. Who knows who? Who has a cousin that knows who that lives in this state? I mean, it's a really big coordinated effort to pass this, but also talking about what else needs to happen outside of this legislation. It's very clear. These sites are just being tidied, if that. They're not being cleaned. They're not doing a thorough cleanup of this waste anywhere. It's just kind of, you know, tidy it up here and make it look in window dressing. So we have a lot of work to do in these communities once this passes to go back and stop people from being exposed.
0: Don Chapman, you've been doing brilliant, powerful work on behalf certainly of your community in North St. Louis and the people around there who have been so affected by the radioactive contamination. Of course, we wish you every success. If there's anything that Nuclear Hot Seat or our listeners
3: can do to support you, let us know. I just really wanted to thank you and your platform. You know, I've I've known you for a while and I've watched your platform grow. And I want you to know, I think that you are a huge part of the success we're seeing with Rika because you are providing a unified platform for all groups and talking about all issues and just really doing a great job making sure everybody knows how they're connected. And so when we did come together, it was flawless. It was seamless. And so I do think that we have you to thank for a lot of that.
0: That touches me very deeply. Today's my birthday
3: and that was possibly the best present I could have gotten. Well, I sincerely mean that. And you know, we talked a lot about you in DC. I would love to have you next time with us, if you know, because I think that That's not just coming from me. We all recognize that. So thank you so much for uniting us, for helping to keep us united and keeping the stories going. You let me know when that lobbying trip is and we'll talk. We will figure out
0: how to get me out there, okay? Yes. For now, Dawn Chapman, I wish you every ongoing success with this As we said right before the interview started, we need to have a pajama party with all the women members so that Uh, we can hang out maybe at a retreat center for a weekend or a week just to be able to say everything that needs to be
3: said. My goodness, yes.
0: Wouldn't that be fun? But for now, I want to wish you well in all of your endeavors and thank you for once again being my guest on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Dawn Chapman of Just Moms STL. Remember that a letter or a call to your Congress member will go a long way to supporting the expansion and extension of RECA. We'll have a link up to where you can find that contact information on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 642.
3: Activists. Activists, shout out, shout out, shout out.
0: First, a correction. There's been some confusion about the date of the streaming showing of the film S.O.S. San Onofre Syndrome, which was featured on last week's program, number 640. So let's clear everything up. The streaming will be available as of Sunday, October 15, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The world premiere, in person, will take place on Sunday, October 8 at 7.30 p.m. as part of the Awareness Film Festival, And the facility will be L.A. Live Regal Theater at 1000 Olympic Boulevard. If you get there early, please come by and say hi because, yes, I will be there. Where else would I be? And while I sent out an email a while ago about the Nuclear Free Future Awards, which will take place online as part of a Zoom call on October 13 at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, At that point, we did not yet have the link to be able to sign up and be part of this wonderful celebratory event. As winner of the 2022 Award for Education, I am deeply honored, and I invite you all to join, and there will be a link up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com. This episode is number 641. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. If you'd like to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week, it's easy. You can sign up for it on your favorite podcast channel, or cut to the chase and do us a favor. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com. A big yellow box will pop up right in your face. If you haven't already, put in your first name and an email address, and every week you will get one email with the link and a short description of the show's content. That puts you on our database, and we promise we won't bug you, but it will help us with our Google algorithm, so more people will be able to find us in a search online. And there's more room for participation here. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And remember, if you can go to Nuclear Hot Seat and donate, we really need your help, and Anything helps. We deeply appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2023. Libby Halevi and Hardest Communications, all rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as you cite the program. And this is Libby Halevi of Nuclear Hot Seat and Hardest Street Communications, reminding you that, as Mahatma Gandhi said, the future depends on what you do today. So let's all get busy. You have just had your weekly nuclear wake up call. So, whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat.
1: Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking?